0: And his dreams are in the hills In the limestone rim, rock, cedar, breaks, Home of the deer and the whippoorwill Oh, seep, spring, dampen, can you stick with your on Oh, that his dreams are in the hills In the meantime, I had uh, uh, taken money that should have been used to, to supply the family with the needed uh, their needs and wants, and I had built the old Moosehead Lodge up on the B.K. Road where the county line is now located. I'd gone down to Bastrop and bought the logs and uh, had one of the Plumley boys that owed me a little money for bootlegging to haul them up there, and I had the Patton boys to build the house for me. And so we were running the Moosehead Lodge, and an old boy named C.C. Hill, he, would been, he had been working for, in a cafe down on 7th and, and uh, on West 7th Street across from the Capital National Bank for Mr. Strobel at that time. Well, C.C. had argued me into putting up this cafe, and he was going to run it, and he and I was going to get rich in the cafe business. Well, we didn't have any, in, or had to have a, a butane gas out there, or not butane, but it was this stuff that uh, one of the national companies put out for lights. We didn't have lights, and we didn't have water. We had to bring our own water up, but... We had the old Moosehead Lodge going at that time. And we would buy, uh, had an old ice box. We didn't have any electrical refrigeration. And, and on Monday, C.C. would buy the steaks. And, and then on Fridays, it, all the steaks that hadn't been eaten were beginning to get a little rancid. So C.C. and his wife and I and Neb May would get together and we'd eat up all the the, the steaks, the supplies we had on hand that, that were just about to be become unusable. And so... I know it was on a, probably on a Friday night. I'm not for sure, but Elvin May and I was up at the Moosehead Lodge uh, going through this uh, weekly gorging that we had, and and uh, we stayed up there at about 10, 11 o'clock uh, uh, eating, uh, trying to eat. And so we started home, and Elvin May uh, made it home all right. We got to Drake Avenue, and about 12 or 1 o'clock, well, she uh, said she was having pains. Well, I was sleepy, and I told her, well, it was that steak we ate, just going back to sleep and forget about it. Well, she wasn't about to be shoosed off like that. She she was trouble and trouble. Actually, she was having birth pains. I didn't know it. I hadn't had a baby before and wasn't having that one. But finally, I decided I'd call Mama. Mama had six kids, and, and she ought to know birth pains from, from indigestion. So I called Mama, and she said, Emmett, I mean, you get in your car, and you take that girl to the, the hospital as fast as you can, and, and I'll, take, I'll call Dr. Gilbert, Joe Gilbert, and have him to meet you there and, and because you're going to have a baby. And so I got her up, and away we went, and we got over to the PNS. That's what it's called a Phys- Physician and Surgeon Hospital was called it then. Is on, I think, about 18th Street between Rio Grande and New- and and New Aces Street, on the north side. Well, we got over there, and Mama was there. She had in her car, and uh, Doctor Gilbert didn't show up. He had been off on a call somewhere, and so little limit was born. while well, before Doctor Gilbert got there, and the nurse. Uh, uh acted as mid nurse or midwife, whatever you call it, and, and and he was born, and it wasn't an easy birth at that, and that was uh, one of the causes of some of Elmer May's later troubles, I should think. But anyway, little Emmett was born on uh, in the early morning hours of February the twelfth, nineteen hundred and thirty-one, and that was on my birthday, so of course we had to name him Emmett Jr. This happened to little Polk. Uh, when he was off up and uh, living in the big house up there he had uh, to go to school on the school bus but the school bus uh, stopped about a mile from our house right down there by the Marshall Gate on BK Road and Little Polk would get off of it and, and walk home up Red Bud Trail about a mile and when he got home of course he'd be hungry. Well uh, during the, the spring of the year well the school bus traveling around several miles and they, all the boys Gordon Fowler and Little Poke and And uh, Minor Wilson and all that bunch of kids, they they knew when squirrels were having babies. So Mrs. Edwards on the school bus was nice enough to let let the kids get out and and, uh, climb up a tree and see how the squirrels were doing. And when they got big enough to make pets out of them, she'd let them get them a pet. So Polka got him a little squirrel out of a squirrel nest and brought it home. And he had it in a little cage out there as a baby, and we tried to feed it and do something with it. And... and, uh, He'd, every evening when he'd come home, he'd go out and see a little pet. It wasn't about three or four days before the little fellow died. And so uh, every man I didn't know how to break it to him. We just thought it'd be an awful thing. But then uh, we'd done our best, and so little Pope got off of the school bus, and he got in, and the first thing he did was run out to see his little squirrel, and there it was, dead in the cage. And then we tried to explain to him the facts of life and death, and so he picked it up, and he brought it on into the kitchen where he'd always, in the evening, got him a bowl of cereal and sat down at the counter there at the... By the sink, and, and uh, he poured him a bowl of post toast. And the little girl squirrel is sitting up there, right next to it. And and he was a left-handed, of course. And he is a fat. He is eating with his left hand and patting the little dead squirrel with his right hand. But we didn't have the heart to tell him that he ought not to eat with a dead squirrel in his it lap, so to speak. Well, uh, uh, they were going to school. Emmett and Jim But Emmett was always a big trapper, so he had to get off of the school bus off down at the. Uh, uh, B Cave Road and Redbud Trail, and that gave him a mile, as I said, to walk home. And so he set him some traps along the, the road that he could uh, run on the way home from from the uh Cave Road. And one day he came in with a fox. He'd caught him a fox. and had a beautiful tail. And uh, they I don't know whether it's dead when he got it there or not, but they managed to kill it. And then the question came up about skinning it. And Gilbert and Emmett were so excited, they'd finally caught something that Emmett had. And, and uh, of course, being officious uh, as I have always been... Uh, it, uh, it was too important a to task to skin that uh, fox for uh, let Emmett do it. I had to do it myself, and of all the damn things I did, I, I pulled the damn tail off in trying to do it. And little Emmett didn't He wasn't upset too much. He figured he'd have done the same thing, but there I was taking over the skin in the fox that I'd never skinned before in my life, didn't know anything about taxidermy, didn't even get a taxidermy badge when I was in the Boy Scouts, but I pulled the tail off of the only fox little Emmett had ever caught. There was one crisis that happened in Emmett Jr.'s life when we were living up at the big big house, and that was uh, uh, after 1942. That's when they moved up there, and I'd take the, uh, we'd leave before daylight go down the, to Fulmore. the were little folk in Gilbert and Emmett went to Fulmore School, and, and then we'd go down to Mama's house, and they'd walk from there up to the school, but I'd take them by there. And to get there, but two time we'd have to leave before dark, before daylight. Uh, and then I'd pick them up at 5 o'clock in the evening, well, Little Emmett, of course, had him a girlfriend down at Formore School. And I remember old uh, Williams was, a, uh, Harvey Williams, I think, was the principal out there then. Harvey was an old friend of mine in, in Austin High School. And so one day Harvey called me and said, Emmett, Emmett uh, Jr., he's in trouble out here, he said, you've got to come get him and take him home and, and discipline him. So I went out to pick up Little Emmett, of course, he was awful upset. He looked like he'd swallowed an elephant or something. And, and I, I sent him out to the car while I talked to Harvey to see what was wrong. And Harvey had a little note there that Emmett had written. It said, May I blank you? And, uh, and the word blank it was, uh, was filled in, in in true language. And so uh, Harvey kind of laughed at me. He said, Emmett, of course, we've been kids too, but you can't let this of thing pass. The teacher intercepted this little note, and so you've got to go out and make it right with Emmett somehow or another. And, oh, I was awful upset about Emmett not having any better sense, I think, than getting caught. It wasn't so much about what he'd said. But old Harvey laughed, and he said, Well... He did use good English, didn't he? He didn't say, can I blank you? So he got me in a good humor before I left, so I took a little limit off up to the to the ranch, and we got out the, in the uh, house out there, away the from the big house, and and I, I told him, I said, now, you're big enough to talk about sex matters. You're big enough to whip me if you can, and I had my belt off, and the little fellow had already, he knew he'd done wrong, and he, he is repentant, and I drew back, and I hit him one leg, and that's as much as I could make, because... There's just no way to to, to, to discipline a child that you love when he didn't do anything but what you had done when you was a kid. So uh, I I tried to talk to him then, and we grabbed each other and and cried and and loved, but we made friends on that occasion. And he was disciplined, and and he he knew he'd done wrong, and I don't think he, at least he didn't get caught again on that same score. It was during this period of time that uh, uh, Emmett and Gilbert would have to, They'd get out of school about 2.30 or 3, and they'd come on down to Mama's house, and they'd play around down there till it was time for me to come get them at 5 and take them home. And uh, Gilbert had got him a bunch of little puzzles and things and, and magic tricks, and he'd put on a show. That was where he decided he was going to be a showman. And Mama would let him put all of his show equipment and his tricks and things in the old room there where Tisha used to live when, downstairs when she was there with us. She, it was her bedroom, and so Gilbert had him a little showroom built up, and... Every afternoon, he'd get all the neighbor kids in there and try to get a penny, whatever he could out of them, but for several months, he'd put on his little shows, and Mama encouraged him all that she could on that. Of course, when we were living up at the big house right after the war, uh, Little Polk became a school agent. I didn't want him to go to Ean school. None of the other people out there, that, except what we'd call the old, old-time city choppers are down there. And I wasn't familiar too much with the community, and I wanted Little Polk to go to P school. And uh, so that's what he did. I en- enrolled him in Peace School, and and uh, he went to to Peace School for a year or two until all of the people up there, they opened up St. Stephen's School, and and we got together with Bishop Hines and the and, uh, headmaster of the school, uh, Samuels, and they said they would send their teenage kid, I mean their ward school kids, to uh, Ainge if we would, and tell the other families out there that had moved in and thought we was a little better maybe than the average Run of Cedar Choppers Well. We decided we'd all send our children to Ian's school at one time. I forget what year that was, but it is a year or so before I become a member of the school board out there, and at that time, we put uh, little Pope back into Ian school, and he liked it real well because he fell in love with one of the little bullion girls, and it was uh, quite a little scene that one time. He he kissed the little bullion girl in the vicar call's class, and this vicar call was, uh, gave him a spanking, and so... Uh, it, uh, we had to have a meeting over it. Uh, all the people going to get in there to see whether we were going to have corporal punishment in the school. Well, I was on the school board, and I told the school teachers that when they, my kid got out of line, if they didn't give him a spanking, I was going to fire him. And so we had a big meeting about it and told Ms. Bullion when she found out what... She was against spanking until she found out that Pope got a spanking for kissing her little girl. Then that was all right. But that was one of Pope's crises. And then there was another one. Mrs. Edwards was, was the school bus woman, as I said, a while ago. And... She'd uh, take these kids all around when the school was over and most of them had a nickel left from school money and they'd stop at Mr. Beard's store and get them some candy or something And, and on the way home. Well, one day they stopped there and all of them got out to and run in Mr. Beard's store to get this candy and stuff and Pope noticed a little pile of dog crap right there close. So he got him a stick and very neatly he got it all together and put it on the step of the, the school bus that everybody had to step in it get or they at least they had an opportunity to step in it. And they did. They all come in, they messed Mrs. Edwards, bust up something terrible. Well, Mrs. Edwards had been, <clears throat> uh, she was, had several kids of her own, and I had been scoutmaster for them, and I'd taken care of them. And So she didn't tell me about that little incident until about uh, uh, three or four months later, when when it was funny. But it wouldn't have been funny if she'd have told me when he first did it, because he'd have got his butt spanked real good. But uh, that was the type of a boy that I was trying to raise. And